Well, as we begin this morning, I want to ask you to think about a time in your life when you were truly shaken. Can you remember a time, maybe think of the last time you were really shaken, kind of to the core of who you were. For me, my mind goes back to 2016, 2017, around the second half of 2016 into the first half of 2017. I got to about the lowest point I think I've ever been. And fortunately, even though I was a mess, personally, professionally, relationally, there was, there was no major sin in my life. There weren't like little things that you could point to. I had a few Job's friends that asked me about that. I just got more of a misplaced identity. That was the issue. I had put my identity in certain things, and when those things, I couldn't see them anymore, I wasn't quite sure who I was. And I remember when I kind of bottomed out and, and just came to the absolute end of myself. Fortunately, Jesus was there. When I hit rock bottom, he was the solid rock. And fortunately, I had a loving and supportive wife and family who, who kind of went down that road with me and back up as I began to rebuild a new identity in who God said I was. You see, I had got my identity wrapped up in all kinds of good things, but, but they weren't primary things. I had gotten an identity that was wrapped up in being a successful pastor in a successful church that was baptizing a lot of people. And, and when I moved on from that church and was no longer the lead pastor and, and I didn't have that identity anymore, I wasn't quite sure who I was. And that started to shake the foundations and it wasn't until I came to the end of myself and found Jesus there and began to rebuild a new identity only on him and what he says in his word was true about me. Did I come to, to the truth about me? And I began to study his word and, and one of the books that came across my, uh, my path as I was rebuilding this identity was a book called The Good and Beautiful God. Maybe you've heard of it. It's actually a series of books. It's called The Good and Beautiful Series. It starts with The Good and Beautiful God, then it moves on to The Good and Beautiful Life, and it finishes with The Good and Beautiful Community. And I was supposed to read those books four or five years ago. I don't know that if I had read them when I was supposed to uh, in a church-wide study, if, if I would have been spared this. I kind of doubt it. I think we all have to come to the end of ourselves at some point to come to the end of who we thought we were and the false, even though they may be good things that we put our identity in, we have to strip those away and build an identity that's rooted entirely in God. And the reason I mention these books is because they, they feature an idea, the idea of a power narrative, that, that we are narrative beings. That so much of Scripture comes to us in the form of a narrative, of a story, so that we can understand the big story that God is writing and understand the part that he says we have to play in that story. And the power narratives that I began to build into my life from Scripture, from what God said was true about me, the first was, I am a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. First and foremost, aside from being a pastor or being a husband or being a father, being a child, a brother, a friend, all the other roles that I play, they're secondary to my primary role as a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. That became a, a new narrative for me, and whenever I started to get off course or I started to identify or over-identify with something else, I reminded myself that first and foremost, I'm a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. 
And the second was perhaps equally important, that I am safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. You see, I had become anxious and I had become fearful, and I was not normally a very anxious or fearful person, but I had become anxious and fearful that it was, always, it was only going to ever get worse. I became very cynical. And I forgot not just who I was, that I was a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells in delight, but I also forgot where I was. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I am safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. The kingdoms of this world are often in trouble, but his eternal kingdom is never in trouble. And I had to remind myself of that over and over and over again. And I studied what God's unshakable word had to say about who I was and where I was and who was with me in the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living within me. And what he said was true about me. And it became increasingly evident that I had not been living as my true identity. I had not been living as a beloved child of God. I had forgotten that. I hadn't made that true. Even though I was a pastor, even though I was leading people, I had put my identity in things that could be shaken. And when those things got shaken, my very identity got shaken. That's why this matters so much. But when I transferred my identity over and put it solidly on what God says is true about me, as his beloved child, and where I am, as a resident of his kingdom, safe and secure. The anger, the fear, the frustration, it all, it all started to dissipate. And any time I became anxious, any time I became fearful, I would write it out again. And I had sticky notes in front of my desk at work and in front of my mirror where I got ready in the morning. And I just reminded myself over and over again. And if this sounds vaguely familiar to those of you who have been a part of Linwood for several years, I actually preached a sermon series the first summer that I was here in 2018 called What's True About You? And we looked at all the scriptures that, that tell us about our identity in Jesus Christ. And you can still go back and listen to it. It's available on our website if, you're, if your interest is piqued in this. And it was those affirmations that had become such a part of my life. They were part of my daily life for months, and then they became kind of a part of my weekly life. And I cycle through them on a regular basis, and it's amazing how often I need to be reminded about something that is true in my life. Because this shakable world in which we live tries to erase that. It tries to confuse that. It tries to get us to, remember, to forget that. And so in this series, Unshakable, we've been talking about the fact that we live in a crazy world where it is easy to be shaken. So we can be very, very thankful that we have an unshakable God. We've been looking at five aspects or characteristics of God's nature. And there are many more that we could consider, but for now we're focusing on these five. And we started with his unshakable word because it opens the door to everything else. His unshakable word is where we learn about his unshakable grace and where we learn how to cultivate an unshakable hope, which are the other two weeks that we've looked at so far. And last week we talked about this idea that, that his word and his grace are foundational. And upon that foundation, we can cultivate, we can create an environment where unshakable hope will flourish in our own lives, where we can become hopeful even in the most dire circumstances. And yes, 
There's some effort that we bring to the table, not to earn his grace, but in response to his grace, there are things we can do to cultivate an environment for our soul that is unshakable, that cultivates unshakable hope. So these last three weeks really turn a corner and move to, towards this culmination that we'll look at next week about how we can be God's unshakable people in a very shakable world. And so today we're going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29, and really look through them and talk through them and study them and see what they have to say to us about the residence of God's people. It is his unshakable kingdom. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we enter into the new covenant, the new relationship that we have available to us through Christ, we take up residence in his unshakable kingdom, and we can learn all about that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. Last week I mentioned that Hebrews is a series of comparisons because it was written, we know, to a group of people that had converted to Christianity from Judaism, from the Jewish faith. And now they were at risk of being pulled back into that Jewish faith, of abandoning Christ and going back into the religion of the Jewish faith. And so the author of Hebrews, we're not quite sure who that is, But he makes one case after another of how Jesus is better. The new covenant is better. Jesus is a better high priest. That that what has been done for us in this new covenant through Jesus, our new high priest, is so much better than anything that came before it that we would never want to turn back. And so after each of these comparisons is a warning or an exhortation. Make sure you don't abandon this. And that's what we see here. So I'm going to read verses 25 through 29, and then we'll kind of walk back through it. But here's what the author says. He says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we've got to back up. Verse 25, it's it's making this exhortation. And in the preceding verses... The author has been making a comparison between Mount Sinai, when the law originally came, and you probably read the story at some point or maybe heard bits and pieces of it or saw a Charlton Heston movie uh, where, where this was featured. And they came to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given through Moses. And we're told there in Exodus 19 and 20 that the mountain shook, the earth shook, and it was surrounded in smoke, and the voice of God was terrifying to the people. So much so that they said, we can't bear to hear this. Moses, you go up that smoking mountain and hear from God and bring it back down to us because we're terrified and we're afraid that we're going to perish. And so Moses goes up, he brings back down the Ten Commandments. And the contrast is being made between that Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Zion is Jerusalem. Mount Zion is the location that we're given for the new heavens and the new earth. And so it's a really important comparison, a really important contrast between the old covenant, the old way, the old mountain, Mount Sinai, where the law was given, the mountain where the people shook with fear, And the new Mount Zion, 
where grace was given, where the people respond with joy to what has been done for them. And that is the context for this exhortation, this see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And the contrast is made between the people who abandoned that covenant, the old covenant, the covenant from Mount Sinai, the covenant of the law. They abandoned it. They walked away from it. And you can read about this throughout the Old Testament, this walking away and then coming back and there'll be a revival and then walking away to the new covenant in Christ's blood, the, the new covenant that is represented by Mount Zion. And Jesus being the mediator of that new covenant, that better covenant, that eternal covenant. So he's saying, don't turn away from it. Don't refuse that one. Don't refuse that because they perished as a result of abandoning or refusing the old covenant. Don't turn away from the new covenant. God is speaking to us through heaven. He has sent heaven onto earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And so from the very earliest verses in Hebrews, he's saying that Jesus is the fullness of the representation, the exact imprint of God himself. And he has come and he has spoken to us. And he has brought to us a better revelation. So the warning is do not refuse God speaking to us through Jesus like the Israelites refused God speaking to them through Moses. It's a very important warning, and so that's kind of the context. Then verse 26 and 27 makes this important point that the old is going to pass away, that that this created order is going to pass away. It says at that time, at the time of, of Moses at Sinai, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, That is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. The old is passing away. This world and everything in it is created, and it is temporary, and it will pass away. Jesus himself said in Matthew 25, verse 24, sorry, verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. That this world as beautiful and as wonderful as it is. And I think of places like Yosemite Canyon or the Tetons or the Alps or, you know, Victoria Falls. You think of these places that are absolutely sublime and basically they're just a glimpse of what's coming. They're created. They're temporary. They're passing away. Jesus says even, even heaven will pass away. And all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record Jesus saying this in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. He's pointing to this idea that, that it's all temporary except his word, his grace, his kingdom. Like those are the things that are eternal. Those are the things that are not temporary. Those are the things that will stand the test of time. The heavens will dissolve like a scroll, Isaiah wrote. And that's what Jesus is pointing to when he makes this point. And so when we seek to say, okay, what does that mean and how does that apply to, to us? He's basically saying this whole created world is shakable. It's temporary. It was not designed to be permanent. Something permanent, something eternal is coming after it. God's word and the kingdom that it reveals are not temporary. They are eternal. And so that's why this is worthy of our consideration, is worthy of our understanding, and worthy of our study. Because in verse 28, he makes it crystal clear what it is that we're receiving. Though all of the things that we can see, this this temporary world and this temporary heavens when we look to the sky, all of that 
will go away, but what will we receive in place? And it's already taking place. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is sort of the main point, that the old covenant is passing away. The new covenant has come. Hebrews talks about this extensively, that there is a new and better covenant that has come through Jesus Christ, a new and better sacrifice, and a new and better high priest. The old is passing away, the new has come. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Whereas the old could be shaken and was temporary, the new cannot be shaken and is eternal. And in order to really understand the significance of this, we have to broaden our minds and our understanding of what that word kingdom means. Because we sort of have inherited a very limited view of kingdom if if we don't understand what the biblical kingdom represents and what the kingdom Jesus came to inaugurate represents. You see, when I think of a king or a kingdom, my mind usually goes to something that looks sort of like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, right? Big castle, swords, maybe a dragon or two. And those can be helpful, but they're very, very limited. Maybe you think of something else. Maybe you think of earthly political kingdoms that we have today, or like the kingdom in Great Britain and the monarchy and and the pictures that that brings to mind. But those are very limited expressions of the biblical notion of a kingdom, and it really has more to do with an order of authority. A dominion. That when Jesus came and started talking about the kingdom of God, which he talked about it all the time, you can wear out a highlighter going through your Bible and highlighting every passage in the Gospels where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He talked about it all the time. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like, and then he would teach and he would make these parables. And he was always trying to help people understand that there is a kingdom that is now coming and is not yet reached its fulfillment. It is now and it is not yet. It is here and now, and you can enter into it through faith in Jesus Christ. You can come into the new covenant, and it will be revealed in its fullness at the end of all times when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in. And so it's not like earthly political kingdoms. A better translation or a better way to think of it would be a new world order or a universal power structure that was being inaugurated. And, and when he talks about this, he's saying that this is the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom that we are receiving and have received and will receive. And so these are big concepts to get our minds around. And I understand that this can be somewhat confusing. So our bottom line is meant to clarify and kind of consolidate this today. And don't worry, I've got more to share. I'm, you're looking at your watch like, wow, he's going to finish really early. He went, we, he went long last week, so that makes sense. Now, last week was bonus round, extra credit stuff. You, you still get a full installment today. But the bottom line is that only temporary things can be shaken. Christ's eternal kingdom cannot be shaken. Only temporary things can be shaken, but Christ's eternal kingdom cannot be shaken. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to make that point. And so we have a response to that. But I also want to point your attention to Psalm 125, because Psalm 125 makes a powerful comparison or a powerful point that fits beautifully with what we're talking about here today. In Psalm 125, we read that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. 
As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. This is good news. This is basically saying that when we trust in the Lord, when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and we cling to him and him alone, we become like Mount Zion. We can be unshakable to the degree in which we are trusting Christ and are putting our hope and our faith in him and him alone. Last week we talked about the power of perspective. That That when we take an eternal perspective and we recognize what's been done for us in the eternal scope of things, that even the most difficult circumstances, we can realize they are so small compared to the eternity that awaits us in the presence of God. If we are redeemed, if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, even the worst that this world can throw at us is but a shred compared to the eternity of joy unspeakable and full of glory that awaits us who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ because we become residents of an unshakable kingdom. And we're also told here that the Lord surrounds us, that the Lord surrounds this new creation. And that'll be our main subject next week is is becoming and increasingly becoming unshakable people being more solidly rooted in his word and in his grace and in his kingdom cultivating hope that is unshakable how we can be unshakable people in the midst of a very shakable world and so with that as a backdrop hebrews 28 and 29 12 hebrews 12 28 and 29 gives us some application to all of this When it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, first, let us be thankful. Let us be grateful. Let us rejoice on a daily basis that we, in Christ, are now residents of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we can tell ourselves repeatedly, I am safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God, which is never in trouble. Even though this world throws all kinds of reasons at us to be afraid, to be anxious, to be fearful... We can remind ourselves where we reside, that we as believers in Jesus Christ are now residents of a new kingdom, an unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that will not pass away. So we can be thankful. We can be grateful every single day. You see, I think sometimes the enemy wants to get us to move on from that. Well, like that's so elementary, Pastor Mark. Maybe we should move on to middle school or to high school or to to college or to a a graduate degree and, and leave some of these smaller things behind. But they're so foundational. We have to remember all the time who we are, where we are, who's with us, and what he says is true about us who are in Christ. So that's the first thing we do. We are thankful, we rejoice, and we are grateful every day for who we are and who is with us and where we are. Second, we worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. You see that in the second half of verse 28. Let us be thankful and let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And you might be saying, well, how do I do that? Well, chapter 13 is all about how you do that. Chapter 13 goes into what are called closing exhortations, but if you take them, they all have to do with worshiping God acceptably with reverence and awe. They all have to do with living this out on a regular basis. And you might be able to summarize them with a passage like Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul writes to the church in Rome, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is how we worship God as we offer our bodies, we offer our lives to him as living sacrifices, not dying sacrifices, not sacrifices that are consumed, 
but sacrifices that continue day in and day out. Every day we turn our lives, our wills over to God. And we worship him and we follow him and we do what he says to do. And we do what passages like Hebrews 13 tell us to do, how to live as followers of Christ. And it's fascinating to me that that he says in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. He's like, in light of all this, don't forget, our God is a consuming fire. And basically, if you look that up, you probably noticed it's in quotes. Anytime it's in quotes in your New Testament, it's probably quoting an Old Testament passage, and there's a footnote. And if you look up the footnote, it's Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. And the broader context of that passage is against idolatry. It's basically saying, idolatry is going out. It, it, don't treat God like an idol. Don't treat God like a genie in a bottle. Don't treat God like the idolatrous people around you treat God. That's what the point was being made in Deuteronomy. And so he's bringing that in here as well, that as we are residents of this unshakable kingdom, we worship God by turning our very lives over to him, by being grateful to him for who he says we are and where he says we are. And we remember, we keep in mind, he's a consuming fire. We don't create little idols and carve those out of wood and worship those. No, that's, that's not at all how God That's not at all how we worship him acceptably and with reverence and awe. No, he is a consuming fire. We remember that. We remember who he is. We remember what he's been done, what he's done for us. And we remember who he says we are. And so to sort of tie this all together, that's that's how we worship God. That's how we remember him is by remembering who he is by remembering what he has done for us and who he says we are. We worship him with the highest devotion. We spend time learning from his word, who he is, what he's done for us, how we are to respond. And we don't forget who he says we are, and we don't forget where he says we live. Because only temporary things can be shaken, but Christ's eternal kingdom cannot be shaken. It is unshakable. And so we need to to be as rooted in that as we possibly can. And we learn that through his unshakable word and through responding to his unshakable grace. And if you're looking for a kind of a shortcut or a place to get started, Psalm 145 is a very powerful passage. It's a very powerful chunk of scripture, especially verses 8 through 13. We did the first four verses in our responsive reading this morning. But I want to finish by reading to you Psalm 145, verses 8 through 13. And you could, you could dog-ear that page in your Bible. You could bracket that and say, this is a place to go when I start to get fearful. This is a place to go when I forget who God is and what he says is true about me and where I reside as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because Psalm 145, verses 8 through 13 tell us that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, that he is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Then it turns and addresses God. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all 
he has made. That paragraph, like memorize that, write that down. Return to that over and over because it tells us a lot about who God is. That he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all, having compassion on all he has made. It tells us about his everlasting kingdom and that he is faithful and loving toward all that he has made. It tells us a lot about who God is. But it also tells us about who we are in Christ and what we are to do. That we are to praise him, that we are to extol him, that we are to tell others of the glory of his kingdom and speak of his might so that the whole world will know, so that everyone will understand who God is and what he says about them and what's available to them. And so if you're hearing this for the first time and you're like, I'm hearing about this from someone outside of that kingdom. I'm not a resident of that kingdom. I have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. I have not trusted in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Then today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day when you respond in faith to the good news of God's grace, to the good news of what's been done for you and who your heavenly Father says that you are. You're loved. Look at that. In verse 10, this is addressing God and it says, All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. Sorry, verse 9. <laughs> the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So even if you're outside of that kingdom, he has compassion. He has made a way for you to be inside that kingdom. This is good news. And so we can respond in faith to that good news. We can return to these verses and verses like them. Whenever we start to get shaken, we can memorize them, we can write them out, we can reflect on them. We can adopt some power narratives for ourselves that are rooted in Scripture, rooted in who God says we are, where God says we are, what He says is true about us. And write those out repeatedly. There's a resource available if you'd like one on the way out. It's something that I created after the What's True About You. I've shared this with a lot of different groups, a lot of different settings, and I created this as sort of a summary of what's true about you that you're beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. And then it has all the scriptures that are there. So you can take this, you can do a whole Bible study, and you can have these words speak life into you and build an identity. If it's wrapped up in anything else, then there has to be a stripping away of that and a rebuilding on what God says is true about you. And it goes through all four of them, and then on the back there's some personal reflection questions. And there's a link to where you can listen to the series if you want to go back and listen to that series or if you've joined the church since then and you want to hear that for the first time. But this will be really pivotal if, if you recognize that there are parts of your identity that are wrapped up in something other than what God has said is true about you, something other than your identity as a beloved child of God. Then there needs to be some deconstruction of what is not true or what is not fundamental so that we can strip away anything that has come between us and Christ and the identity that we have in him and rebuild a new identity in Christ and Christ alone because only temporary things can be shaken. But Christ and his eternal kingdom cannot be shaken. They are unshakable. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful. Thankful for your unshakable kingdom. Thankful that you would extend it to us and extend an invitation to us to be a part of it. We're thankful that you invite us to surrender ourselves, to surrender our lives, and to come to faith in you. And we pray, God, that you will help us to remember who you say we are. 
to build an identity in you that cannot be shaken. Pray for those that are, that are hearing about this, maybe for the first time. And I pray that they would respond in faith, that they would recognize their need, that they would confess their sin, that they would agree with you that they have fallen short of your glory, and they would ask Jesus to come and to pay the penalty for their sin and to begin a relationship with him. And for those of us that, that have heard the good news, have responded in faith to the good news, but maybe find ourselves routinely being shaken by, by the events of this world or by loss or grief, It's never too late to turn back to you. It's never too late to strip away what has come between us and you and to rebuild on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, his word, his truth. So whatever your spirit is saying to us today, oh God, may we respond in faith. May we embrace your truth. Embrace what you say about us today as residents of your unshakable kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray.